Amen. Be seated. Amen. Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning on this Lord's Day, and uh, I love to these Sundays when we have the Lord's Supper together and had a great time of fellowship. We have the opportunity now to continue to worship the Lord uh, by opening His Word together. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1, our text this morning is verses 12 through 18. As I read this passage this week, I thought about a story about a couple that went to buy a house, and the realtor said, well, this house has some disadvantages and some advantages. And uh, they said, well, what are the disadvantages? They said, well, north of the house, there's a dump, and to the uh, south, there's a rubber plant. Uh, To the east, there's a sewage plant, and to the west, there's a stockyard. And they said, well, what in the world is the advantage? And they said, well, you can always tell which way the wind's blowing. (laughs) Now, that's turning a disadvantage into an advantage, isn't it? An obstacle into an opportunity. That's the thrust of our text here this morning, as we see in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Um, how that, that obstacles in life can be turned to opportunities. Let me read these verses for us in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So reads... God's inspired and errant word. There's a story about a little boy that was leading his sister up a difficult mountain trail, and she complained and said, what? Well, she said, this isn't a path at all. She says, it's all rocky and bumpy. And her little brother replied, sure, he says, it's the bumps that you climb on. And I like that story because what's true of hiking is true in life as well. It's often the, the bumps and the troubles and the difficulties of life uh, that we climb on. And, and to, a, to a great degree in your life and in my life, what we do with the struggles, the difficulties, the obstacles, the bumps of life will determine whether we have success or failure in life. And under the, the hand of a sovereign God, the bumps are often what we climb on in life. Um, under God's sovereign hand, obstacles in life can become opportunities. Um, adversity can become advantages. Uh, setbacks can be successes. Uh, barriers can be blessings, and difficulties can become doors in life. The main thought in this passage this morning, the thrust of this passage is that obstacles become opportunities when we place the advancement of the gospel first. When you put the advance of the gospel first in your life, that's when obstacles can become opportunities. Obstacles don't become opportunities just because you, you have enough positive thinking or you try hard enough, it's whenever we see the advance of the gospel as primary in our lives. That's when obstacles can become opportunities. Now, the key thought, the key topic sentence, really for all of verses 12, all the way down to verse 26, are those little words in verse 12, now I want you to know. Paul is getting ready to tell the Philippians what's been going on in his life, to kind of fill in the blanks. And all of us love getting news from people we love. And the Philippians loved Paul. 
and they're concerned about Paul. In fact, they're over in Philippi. Paul's 800 miles away in Rome, and they sent a man named Epaphroditus with a financial gift to Paul, and they wanted Epaphroditus to find out what was going on and bring word back to them about how Paul was doing. I mean, you know, news traveled very slowly back then. And so Paul wrote this letter, the book of Philippians, and part of this letter is telling them how he's doing. Now you can imagine, I think we forget this a lot of times, that in the early church, they would have all gathered together in, an early, in, a, in a morning service sometime, and, uh, or maybe even maybe in the evening back in those days, and they would have just received this letter from Paul. And they would have been so excited to receive news from him. And someone that morning would have begun to read, or that evening would have begun to read this letter. And the first 12 verses, Paul talks all about Christ and about the Philippians. But finally, when he gets to verse 12, he begins to bring them up to date about what's been happening in his life. And Paul wrote this section, I think, both to inform and to transform. He wrote it to them to inform them about what's been happening in his life, to, to kind of set their minds at ease. But he also wrote this to transform them by giving them an example of how to face adversity. Paul wanted to let them in on how he was processing his, his imprisonment. And he wanted to let them in on what was happening in his life so that God could use him as a model to transform their, their lives. So his main focus here is to let them know how he was using the bumps of life to climb on. And there's two main thoughts really in this text, very simple ones. We see the obstacle Paul faced, and we see the opportunities that came out of that obstacle. Uh, the first thing is the obstacle. It's very clear here. You have in verse 13, uh, verse 14, and verse 17, the word chains or imprisonment. Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. Now, a lot has happened to Paul in the last few years when he writes Philippians. If you go back and you wanted to read Acts 21 to 28, it's this long saga that got Paul to Rome. He was in Jerusalem. He got arrested there. Um, he got tried by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Uh, there was a plot against his life to kill him. And so they moved him over to Caesarea there by the sea. Those of you that have been to Israel, uh, you know where that is, that, that Caesarea Maritima. And so he's there for two years um, in prison there, and at some point in time, he cashes in his chips as a Roman citizen and says, I appeal to Caesar. And so he goes on the long uh, journey, remember at sea from Caesarea there all the way to Rome. Uh, they suffer a shipwreck. I mean, it's quite a, quite a journey. But finally, he gets to Rome, and he's imprisoned there in Rome for two years under house arrest. You can read about that in Acts chapter 28. So he spent four years in prison, two in Caesarea, then the, the long journey, and then two years um, in Rome. He's under house arrest there. So things were not exactly going as Paul had planned in his life. And it may be that you're here this morning and things aren't going the way you planned in your life either. But Paul used these obstacles in his life for opportunities. So what you have here is Paul, Paul think about this, the great apostle He's confined to one small, tiny house. Acts 28 says it's rented quarters. Now, he's chained to a guard every day, but he's in his own rented quarters, and he's waiting for Nero's decision about what's going to happen to him. And it looks like Paul's ministry is on hold. He's on the sidelines. He's on the bench, if you will. Paul's been taken out of the game. So that's the obstacle that he faces. 
But in an amazing reversal, this obstacle in Paul's life actually leads to some astounding opportunities. Uh, Paul uses the bumps to climb on, if you will. In fact, in verse 12, he says, My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That word there, progress, in the Greek means to cut toward. It was used as a military term for engineers that would go out ahead of an advancing army to get rid of the obstructions like the, the trees and the rocks and all of that. So Paul is saying that the setbacks and the difficulties I'm facing have actually cleared the way for the gospel. So again, from the human standpoint, it looks like Paul's not going to get anything done. He's just sitting there in a little rented house for two years, uh, and his ministry has been greatly curtailed and diminished. But Paul wants them to know that this obstacle has become an opportunity. Rather than hindering the gospel, it's actually advancing the gospel. Now, before we get started in some of the details here in the passage and look at it, I want to just mention verse 16, a great statement that Paul makes at the end of the verse. Most translations have, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Underpinning everything else that Paul is writing is his unshakable confidence in the providence of God. Paul is there in prison in Rome under house arrest, and he says, I am put here. And he doesn't mean that he got put here by Nero or somebody else. I'm put here. He's put there by God. In fact, if you go read Ephesians, which is one of the other letters Paul wrote during this time of house arrest, in Ephesians 4.1, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say, well, I'm here in prison. I'm a prisoner of Rome or I'm a prisoner of Nero. He says, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He knew he was there by God's appointment. In, in Ephesians 6.20, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in chains there. He says, I'm, I'm in chains, but even though I'm in chains, I'm still an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's my focus and calling in life. He knew that he was where he was because God put him there. Um, Andrew Murray was a great South African pastor many years ago. He visited England in 1895, and a back injury that he'd had earlier in life um, came back to him in a bad way, and he was laid up for a period of time. And the house where he was staying, the lady that lived there, the hostess there, she once came and told him about a woman having great problems and wanted to know if he had any counsel for this woman. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about this myself with my own troubles. And he said, I've written out several helpful things and give her this piece of paper and maybe it will help her. And he wrote several things there, but I just want to mention the first one. He said, whenever you're in trouble, the first thing you want to say is, God brought me here. It is by his will that I'm in this place and in that I will rest. To realize that we're where we are in life because of divine appointment. That's the first thing. And that was Paul's attitude. I am put here. And the question this morning would be, do you and I really have that attitude, no matter what's going on in our life, to say, I'm put here. In the providence of God, this is where he has me at this time in my life. And now I want to use this as an opportunity for the gospel. Now we see three ways or three opportunities that came out of Paul's obstacle. The first one is in verse 13, I call this contact with the lost. He says, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. You see, Paul's imprisonment was part of God's strategy to get the gospel to people who otherwise would never hear it. Now, these people would never come to Paul. And uh, by the way, there's a lot of people that will never come to this church. 
but God can take us to them through his providential uh, workings in our lives. Paul believed that God had thrown an open door into Caesar's household to the gospel through what was happening to him. In fact, if you go back to verse 12 again, my circumstances have turned out for the progress of the gospel. Again, that word means to cut toward. Paul is saying, the Lord has cut a path for me to Caesar's door. Because he mentions in verse 13, the praetorian guard, or they were called in that day the praetoriani. They were a group of crack imperial troops. They were hand-picked. These were Caesar's bodyguard. There was about 9,000 of them at that time, and it was a great honor because they got double pay, uh, special privileges. Uh, they got a good pension. In fact, some would even say that they got Roman citizenship at the end of their 12 years of service in this group. And these were the men that Paul was chained to for two years. So every six hours for two years, Paul got a new guard. Now think about that. Paul literally had a captive audience every day for two years. In fact, uh, you could say literally there was a chain reaction of the gospel that was going forth uh, there in the city of Rome. And these, these, uh, these men, Paul wasn't chained to them. They were chained to Paul. And remember, again, this is Paul's under house arrest. So he's got a steady flow of visitors. Anyone can come see him and, and come and go. Even Epaphroditus, I mean, who, who, who takes this letter back to Philippi, he came from Philippi to see Paul to tell him about what was going on there. You remember the background of the book of, of Philemon? A runaway slave named Onesimus makes his way all the way to Rome, a runaway slave from Colossae, makes his way all the way to Rome, somehow gets to see Paul under house arrest. Paul leads him to Christ and sends him back to Philemon, uh, back there in the city of Colossae. So think about all these people coming and going. If you're a guard there chained to Paul, you hear him share with his runaway slave Onesimus, share the gospel and see him get saved. Your Epaphroditus come and tell all about what's happening in Philippi. I mean, the, these guards would have heard Paul praying, dictating letters, sharing the gospel, uh, telling about what's going on in the different churches. And on top of that, they would have seen Paul's courtesy and his kindness and his grace, and his joy and peace under the most trying circumstances of life. You can just imagine these prisoners going back to their barracks or the local pub or whatever they did after work and sitting there with these other guards and other people just saying, I've just heard the most amazing stuff I've ever heard in my life. There's this uh, Jew from, from Asia from over in Cilicia here, and he, he's talking about this Jewish Messiah who's come and who, who died, and he's telling people they can have forgiveness through him. So one after one, another, these guards are coming to Christ, and it says the whole praetorian guard and everyone else, the whole gospel, it's penetrating uh, Caesar's household and the administration there in the city of Rome. I mean, this would have been astounding. So Paul turns his predicament into a platform for the gospel. There's a, a new penetration of the gospel into the highest ranks of Roman government. And it all happened because he has this obstacle in his life. Someone said uh, once that you can have your best witness in your worst circumstances. And I think that's often true in life. We can have oftentimes our, our best, most powerful witness in the worst circumstances of life. And that was certainly true here with Paul. Paul was given the opportunity by God to bring Roman guards to faith in Jesus Christ. 
You see, we often think that it's the circumstances of our life and everything kind of going well that will help us do well in life and advance the gospel. We think the circumstances have to be just right to be a witness. But God can take the greatest obstacles and turn them to opportunities. It's like a story I read about three stores on Main Street in a town that stood side by side. And they all sold the same type of merchandise. And one, one of the stores on one end put a big sign up that said, Rock Bottom Prices. Well, in the competition, the guy on the other end put up a sign that said, Lowest Prices in Town. Well, the guy in the middle didn't know what to do. He was kind of thrown off by the aggression of his competitors there until finally he came up with a bright idea. And above his store, he put the sign, Main Entrance. <laughs> now, that's, a, that's taking an obstacle to an opportunity, Right? And when I read this passage this week, I thought of that story because Paul basically put up a big sign there in his rented quarters that said main entrance. And this little rented quarters he was in became this great place where the gospel was going forth. So Paul, while he's in this uh, this situation in life, is not consumed with self-pity and discomfort and all the things that are happening and all the limitations it's placed on him. Paul's focus is the gospel and Jesus Christ. And there's a great old quote I read this week that if your circumstances find you in Christ, you will find Christ in your circumstances. And that's true in Paul's life. If if your circumstances find you in Christ, then you will find Christ in your circumstances. And Paul found Christ in his circumstances. So the first thing that happened is Paul was brought into contact with people that he wouldn't have been brought into contact with otherwise. And that's, that's true for you and me often in the obstacles of life. We meet people because of things that happen to us, difficult things that we wouldn't otherwise meet. And if we see that as an opportunity for the advance of the gospel, it can become an opportunity uh, for us. The second way the gospel was advancing, though, is Paul's imprisonment and his courage in sharing the gospel while he's in prison gave more courage to the other believers there in Rome. Verse 14, he says, Most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So Paul's courage here was contagious. It was igniting a passion in these believers there to share the gospel. So rather than lying low and kind of hiding out and thinking, well, Paul's in prison, we better be quiet, they were actually standing up and standing out as they were inspired uh, by Paul's courage. So they were encouraged to follow in his footsteps. And I think we all know that courage is infectious. But I would also say cowardice is infectious too, isn't it? You see people cowardly and all that, we kind of tend to go with that. But if we see other people I'm infused with courage. It it, it motivates us to be courageous as well. One of the things I've seen here lately that's been a great blessing in my life is in the life of my own parents. Um, Some of you know my mother fell a while back, and she's uh, in a a rehab place now. Lord willing, she's going to come home this week. It'll be the day before her birthday, so we're hoping that'll work out. But I've seen my, my mother and the difficulty she's been going through, and so I go and visit her. Every place she's been, this is her third place, nurses that are there and people that are helping will say, man, your mom's just the greatest and she's just such an encouragement to me and we just love your mom and all that. And that's been a great blessing to me because I look at that and think this is a terrible obstacle. When you put the gospel first and Christ first, it can become an opportunity to witness to people. 
and I've seen this in my, my father, he's not able to get out and do as many things as he used to do, but he has a, he has a really a, an amazing courage now I've never seen in his life of sharing the gospel. Um, he, he's, for years, he's kind of been the patriarch of his family, he calls his sisters and his brothers when they were alive, and he calls his aunts and uncles when they were alive, and now it's mainly his cousins, and they're all up in their 80s and 90s. But he calls them fairly regularly, and he'll tell me about conversations with them, and basically, it usually gets around to the fact is he'll say, you know what, we're really old, and we're going to die really soon, and what's going to happen to you when you die? I mean, and he can say that because he's their age, you know what I mean? It's like, he just tells them, look, you know, I, I want to see you in heaven. I care about you. I want to see you in heaven. And he tells me about sharing the gospel. I'm kind of wondering now, some of them, when they hear him on the line, might hang up or something, you know, but... But, but he cares about him deeply, and he tells me about that. And he never says it in a bragging way. That's not what my dad's like. But it's just it's what's on his mind now. And a few weeks ago or a few months ago, Bill Langwell, a, a member of our church for so many years, Bill uh, died suddenly in the morning. And uh, his wife, Frankie, is uh, still, still here, still helping us with the Lord's Supper, as her and Bill did for so many years. But my dad was good friends with Bill. He just lived down the street, and as he was, he was out walking that morning. He walked by the house and saw the ambulance there and all. And Anyway, later that afternoon, there's a man across the street from my dad, and he said the guy asked him what was going on down there, and my dad told him that Bill had passed away, and my dad said, you know, Bill was a Christian. And he said, I know that Bill this morning went to heaven when he died. And, and he said, I asked this guy, I just said, well, you know, I, I care about you, you're my neighbor, and I love you. And he said, uh, you know, I, I want to know that if something like that happened to you, that you'd go to heaven too, because he said, I, I know I would if it happened to me. He said, the guy didn't say anything, and he just said, you know, it's not about good works, it's not about what church you go to, it's not about that kind of stuff. And I love it, because my dad's a simple guy, and he said this, he says, it's about one thing, Jesus. That's what it's about. And as he's told me those things, and again, he just, that's what's on his mind now. It's, it's given me, uh, it's inspired me to have more courage to share the gospel. And, and I say that because some of you here that are maybe great-grandparents or grandparents or parents, you know, we can either inspire those who are behind us to more courage, or we can maybe, through our cowardice, inspire cowardice in them as well. And so it's, it's been wonderful to me for my parents at the age they're at now to still be encouraging me, still be spurring them on in my life. And so ask yourself, do I inspire others by what I do in my life, or do I maybe even discourage others? We need to realize that our commitment to share Christ in difficult circumstances can embolden other people uh, to do the same thing. Now, unfortunately, with Paul here, his, his imprisonment provoked two responses. There was the positive response of those who were emboldened now to share the gospel, but there was another group that were going out with bad motives sharing the gospel. We, we could call these the enthusiastic evangelists and the envious evangelists. And in verses 15 to 18, Paul talks about this second group that were people envious of Paul that we're going out with bad motives preaching the gospel. But even in that, Paul rejoices, and he says, that's even an opportunity, because even though they're doing it with bad motives, at least Christ is being preached. So these people are using this opportunity of Paul being in prison to pile on. But Paul says, look, even though they're doing it for that reason, I rejoice that Christ is preached. Now, some people think that these people preaching from these bad motives were unbelievers. I don't think they were. I think they're believers because Paul doesn't say anything here about them being heretics or false teachers. 
And I think if they were, he would have said that. Also, they were preaching Christ. It's just that they had bad motives in doing it. Their message was correct. It was their motive that was corrupt. And he says here that they, they preached out of envy. In other words, they envied Paul's popularity and his success. They were so prideful they couldn't enjoy what Paul was, was having. Uh, they wanted it for themselves. And it mentions strife. It means to stir up. These people wanted to stir things up. It mentions uh, in verse uh, 17, they preach out of selfish ambition. In other words, they were trying to gain a following for themselves. It was about their own ego, really, not the gospel. And then in verse uh, 17, he says, they're thinking to cause me distress. That word distress there in the Greek is the word friction. And some have pointed out that it almost pictures like the, the chains in Paul's wrists and his ankles digging in and causing friction. It's almost like these people are wanting to irritate Paul while he's in prison and kind of dig the chains in a little bit deeper on him. I mean, think about that. I mean, that, that's bad, isn't it? I mean, these are, these are believers who have allowed envy and jealousy to just take hold of their lives. And then in verse 18, he says they preach out of pretense, which means to appear before others. In other words, they want their motive is to be seen by other people, to elevate themselves. So these are petty, territorial, calculating people that are just focused on self-promotion. There's a couple lessons here for us I want, don't want us to miss. We don't want these motives to be part of our lives. We need to beware always of the temptation to promote ourselves especially in, in ministry in some way, but in every area of life, to avoid the temptation to, to promote ourselves and have ourselves be the focus. We also want to avoid the temptation to be jealous of other people. It's amazing how quickly that we can run someone else down if they're doing bigger and better things than we're doing. And that's what was happening with these, these believers in Rome. Another thing is, if, if someone is jealous of you, don't let their jealousy consume you and derail you from what God wants you to do. Paul could have gone on here for a, probably a long time talking about how bad these people were and how wrong their motives were, and he could have become bitter and resentful of them. But Paul doesn't have time for that. He says, look, I just rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Here's another thing to think about, just to, kind of on both sides. Some of the greatest uh, attacks and discouragement that many of us have in our Christian lives come from other believers rather than lost people. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes the greatest attacks and the greatest discouragement we experience as a believer doesn't come from, from unsaved lost people. It actually comes from other believers. And we don't want to be the source of that kind of uh, discouragement and attack uh, for other people. One other thing I think that's in this, this same vein that's, that's powerful is Jesus Christ, the gospel can be preached insincerely and people can still get saved. Isn't that wonderful? That's the power of the gospel. The power is in the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. The power is in that message. It's not in the person who proclaims it. And I thank God that that's true because all of us can have flawed motives at times. The power is in the gospel. And so we see Paul's magnanimous spirit here. Paul doesn't care who gets the converts. Paul doesn't care who gets the credit. He just rejoices that Christ is being preached. Paul is consumed with the gospel. Look at verse 12. He mentions the gospel. Verse 14, the word of God is being spoken. That's the gospel. 
Verse 16, he mentions the gospel. Verse 17, he mentions proclaiming Christ. That's the gospel. Paul's focus is the gospel getting out. That is what Paul rejoices in. Now, I have to confess here that sometimes I struggle with this. I'll watch Christian television. You see people on there that it seems fairly clear that their motives are greed, uh, self-promotion, those kinds of things. Yet, you'll hear those people give a clear statement of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I get more focused on the bad stuff they're doing than the fact that Christ is actually proclaimed. And this is a good reminder to all of us, if Jesus is proclaimed, even if it's done in an insincere, unworthy manner, Paul says we're to rejoice in that. John Phillips, in his book on Philippians, says this, there are people preaching the gospel today whose motives are suspect. I think we all agree with that. Some seem to be building empires for themselves as they spend inordinate amounts of time pleading for money and then spend large portions of that money on questionable things. Others people draw their circle of fellowship so wide they raise serious doubts as whether they have any real convictions at all beyond the bare facts of the gospel. But the gospel is being preached. God's word is being proclaimed, however uncertainly and unworthily. We can thank God for that anyway, and we can pray for these people. God will bless his word as he pleases. He is still sovereign, and the Holy Spirit is still Lord of the harvest. That's a good word for us. Now, some people are false teachers, and they don't ever even proclaim the gospel. And that's a whole other issue. But we're talking here about people who really do proclaim the gospel and proclaim Christ. Paul says, look, in any way, whether by pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, I will rejoice. Now, there's one final opportunity that came from Paul's obstacle of being in prison. There's one other positive result that came out of Paul's imprisonment, and that is that Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Have you ever thought about that? If Paul hadn't been in house arrest for those two years, in fact, while he was under house arrest there those two years, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then his final Roman imprisonment several years later, that's when he writes 2 Timothy. So five of Paul's 13 letters were written uh, while Paul is in prison. So I was just thinking about this uh, this week. Praise God that Paul was in prison for those two years. We got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and uh, Philemon from that. So God, again, brings opportunity from these obstacles. But what you see in this passage this morning is that for the Apostle Paul, the advance of the gospel really was the overriding passion of his life. And so for you and for me, the, the uh, application for us is we need to keep the focus of our lives on Christ and put Christ and the gospel first. That was Paul's concern. And if you'll notice, if you've been at our church any length of time or if you're a visitor, I'll just let tell you this this morning. A couple of years, we developed some core values for our church. And our number one core value is believe the gospel. We want people here at this church to believe the gospel. Now, I've been talking about the gospel a lot, and there may be somebody here and you're a visitor, and you're saying, well, what in the world's the gospel you keep talking about? Well, the gospel is the good news. It's the good news that although we're sinners, that God came down in human flesh and the person of Jesus Christ and bore our sins on the cross. And we can have life, and we can have forgiveness, and we can have hope through Him. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior... What you need to do this morning is believe that what Christ did, He did for you. You need to make it personal and receive that for yourself. That Christ died on the cross in your place and He rose again. And you can trust in Him and have eternal life. That's what we need to do if we've never done that.
Now, for all of us here who've done that, we want to be gospel people. And as you face obstacles in life, the bumps in life, the difficulties in life, the only way those obstacles are going to be transformed into the kind of opportunities God wants you to make them, you're going to have to put the gospel first. That's what Paul did. And if we will do that, we will see how God can take whatever obstacles we may face and turn them into incredible opportunities. We all face them. We all feel chained at times. Uh, you may feel very limited in your, your life today and what you can do. Uh, you may uh, feel like you're tied to a desk all week or chained to a desk somewhere where you work. I say, that's an obstacle in my life. Put the gospel first, and God can use that obstacle as an opportunity. You may feel as a student here this morning, you're chained to a classroom somewhere. Allow God to use that as an opportunity for the gospel. You may be chained to some family problem. Uh, there are people in our church here who literally are chained and tied to a wheelchair. They can't get out of that or to a hospital bed, or to a nursing home, or some rehab center. I mean, it may be as a young mother here today that you feel like literally you're chained to the sink at home, or the washing machine, or maybe chained to a stroller or something. But God can use that to bring you into the lives of people that you can't meet any other way. People that aren't going to come here, we can meet them in the various places of where God has placed us. A sovereign God has put you where you are. And you may feel like it's a lot of limitation. There's not much that God can do through you there. If you'll put the gospel first, put Christ first, God can take any obstacle we face, and he can bring great opportunities for that. He can bring us into contact with the lost and bring greater courage uh, to those who are around us. But we have to put the gospel first in our lives and our hearts for that to happen. And I pray as a church that we can do that, that we'll be asking the question constantly, as we face troubles and difficulties in life, how can God use this in my life to advance the gospel? As we do that, we'll find all kinds of opportunities that God has for us. Well, let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, for the good news. He's come and made a way for sinners to be right with you. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they might do it right now, right where they sit, that they'd realize that this gospel message is for them, and they'd take Jesus to be their Savior. Oh, Father, for those of us who know you, we all face the bumps of life. We all face difficulties and obstacles. I'm sure there are many people this morning that have come in here with a burden in their heart, even this morning. But Father, I pray that you'd grip us with the fact this morning that the only way that these can become great opportunities is if we put, put the advance of the gospel first, that that's what we're to be about, that wherever we